Good to see everybody. Um, very familiar passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go ahead and open your scriptures there. 1 Timothy 3. Another thing we do, and uh, Alan Patterson, of course, is here from GFA as well, and some of the seminary faculty serve on our board, so I'm very thankful for them. Um, we also do a podcast. It's uh, called ReChurch, R-E, colon church. You can go to that. It's a bi-weekly podcast, and uh, some of you have emailed me. Thanks for listening, and it's just, it just covers everything about the church. I mean, really everything about the church. So. Uh, come listen to that, give us feedback, something that maybe would interest you, that you would like covered. Uh, it's kind of an interview style, so please uh, let me know what you'd like covered and maybe who you would like interviewed for that, okay? And that would be a great blessing as well. Um, another thing with the interim pastors, so we're also currently serving as interim pastor. My wife and, uh, my wife and I serve as a team at Faith Baptist and Taylor's, uh, so I know a couple of you go there, so good to see you as well. Uh, so it's just good to be with you. And passage this morning, I don't know how many times you've probably heard this preach, but Israel, I do appreciate the center picking a theme and just hammering that theme. So go ahead and turn again, First Timothy 3. And as you look at this and what we're going to do, at the end, I want to do this, all right? So several years ago, um, as we were traveling, assisting churches, I had a deacon come up to me. This deacon was probably in his 70s. He was a retired pastor, okay? And he said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what's going on? He said, this church does not show me enough honor. I said, really? He said, no, it doesn't show me enough honor. I said, okay, uh, let's sit and talk through that. So at the end, I want you, after we cover this passage, I want you to put yourself, so how would you answer that challenge that he was not being shown enough honor? So we end at 1140, right? Right? Is that right? Okay, so about 1130, I need somebody to raise their hand. 1130, who's going to be my timekeeper? Okay, got it. All right, so you be my timekeeper. That'll give me enough warning to stop five minutes early. And so this is the time for you to put into place um, what we're going to talk about. All right, now, every pointer is different. Let me see if I got this right. Yep, okay. So this word radically is way overused. I know that. But the reason I, I, I want to use it here because the dictionary definition of radical means a sweeping change, excellent, something that is far-reaching. And if you use the, in the medical world, the same is used to describe medical treatment that's intended to remove a source of disease and totally changes what happens. So I think this First Timothy 3, if we look at it the right way, not only this word deacon, but let's look at it of how it's used not only here, but throughout scripture. And I think we must frame First Timothy 3 in this context to really fully understand what's being spoken of here. So we know this in, in Mark chapter 10, that but Jesus called them and said to them, you know, you know that you account to rule over the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority of them, but, but, so, what? Not so among you. All right? So whosoever shall be great among you shall be your what? Minister. Okay, this is the word servant. This is our word we get deacon from, right? You know Greek. I don't have to go there. And whosoever you shall be chiefest shall be 
servant or slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to what? To deaconize. I'm here to deacon you. I'm here to serve. So the same word, we must understand the context and really the power of it before we get into 1 Timothy 3. So as you look at this, again, it's, it's repeated in Luke chapter 22. Um, again, whoever wants to be greatest among you, in verse 26, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he doth serve. And here's our word again, and you can see it there in verse 27. So all I want us to do is make sure we understand in the context of this, we're talking about servanthood. And the reason I'm saying radically different, because if this is adopted by you, as you are a student or you are faculty, wherever you are, if we're true servants, it will radically change everything around us. So I just want to run through this as we understand what First Timothy 3 says about the servant. And then we'll be prepared to answer the man that addressed me at a church about why he was not shown honor. All right, so First Timothy 3, likewise, must the deacons, the servants, be Grave. So we want to talk about here the requirements of the servants. And first is the personal character. So what is this word grave? The personal character reflects that of being serious, reverent, grave. Implies a dignity or the seriousness of what he's carrying out. And servanthood, we must, it must be a seriousness. It's got to be something intentional. And as we look at this, you know, um, there's always a class clown. We know that. Growing up, you think, so who comes to your mind in elementary school? Who was that class? All right, so this is the opposite of being that class clown. This is someone that takes very serious, and a servant must take serious what he's doing. Now, look at the rest of this passage, because we're going to talk about then what a servant is not. He is not double-tongued. He is not, he is sincere. He's not double-tongued. He's not a double-talker. You know this, and so the question one must ask myself is, as a servant of God, can I bridle my tongue only to speak what is good about others? All right. Now, as pastors, are we called to call out? Are we are we told to call out false teachers? Yes, we are. We understand that's in the preaching teaching ministry. But at the same time, we we don't want to give a conflicting view if we're always speaking double talk, always speaking evil without speaking good. So let's make sure. What we say about others as a servant, we build up those that we're serving. That as a servant, we're always trying to build up those. So this is, again, we're not to be double-tongued. We are to be what in verse 8? says it this way, not to be double-tongued, not to be given to much wine. So a servant of God is sober. Now, whatever influence you want to put someone under, wine, you know, drugs, whatever we want to say, we understand here that, a servant of God must be controlled by the Spirit of God or there's no way we're going to have the heart of a servant. All right, now here, not given to much wine, not under the influence of something else. So what are we to be under the influence of? I think we hear that Romans 14 makes it very clear we're, you know, we're not to offend another brother. And, you know, I have a family of alcoholics. And so I knew from the beginning that as a fan, if I started drinking, I would be a drunk. And so in our family, we, we avoid totally any use. We abstain totally because 
it can be a stumbling block to some close people in my family that have overcome it. So again, not given to much wines. We don't want to be a stumbling block. So wherever you are in the use of alcohol, you've got to be careful not to be a stumbling block. But then also in Ephesians 5, what does it say? Be filled with what? The Spirit. And then we have in Galatians 5, we are to walk in the Spirit or walk by the empowerment of the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So not here given to much wine. The bigger issue is what's controlling me? Because if we're going to be a servant, and this is what we're going to be and not be, we cannot do this unless we're walking by the Spirit, in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, with the Spirit mind of being a servant. So as you go through this, it doesn't stop there. A servant of God also must be honest, not given to filthy lucre. So we understand honesty on all occasions, and here's why. See, as a servant, we are a steward of what God has given us. As a servant, we don't own it. We're a steward. Therefore, we must be honest and trustworthy in whatever God has entrusted to us as a servant of others. Because we know everything we have belongs to who? Okay, no, look, I'm from the South. You answer, you know, a little participation. I know you've been in class all day. All right, so who belongs to it? It belongs to God, right? But a servant is a steward. So it doesn't belong to me. I am serving others as I take care of whatever it is within the church, within the personal things God has given me. So a, a servant must be trusted with whatever God gives him, not greedy, not making our, our sole idea here to collect earthly possessions. So we've got to understand I am a servant. I am a steward. And as a servant, I obey other people. So this is what a servant does. So that's his personal character. So what is the spiritual character of this servant? Again, we're framing it in the context of deacons, right? So as you think of deacons in the church, as you think of you pastoring a church or being, informed, being part of a church, this is the profile of what a deacon should look like. But also I want to expand that again because we're all servants. So what is the servant of God, what is his spiritual character? Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith. Fred let us in that. So what is the mystery? So what is a servant to do? A servant, according to Ephesians 6, is to make known the mystery of the faith, to make known this mystery of the gospel. For those who have yet to believe, it is a mystery. You know, I came to Christ as a freshman at Clemson University. I was brought up in a religious home, mainline denomination. I, I knew that Jesus had died. I mean, that wasn't a question. I mean, we celebrated Good Friday. We celebrated Easter. We celebrated all of that, celebrated his birth. But what I didn't understand was salvation by grace through faith. That was a mystery to me because I was convinced my good works would save me. So there is a mystery associated with the gospel, and it's our job as a servant to make known the mystery. So again, it says here, holding the mystery of, gospel, the mystery of the gospel. You can pray for my wife right now at 11 o'clock. She's been having a Bible study with a lady, Roman Catholic background. My wife, it was Roman Catholic. And this is about the fourth week of the Bible study, and as we prayed this morning before we left, because this is the passage I was preaching on, Lord, 
take the veil off and let her understand the mystery. See, uh, to you and me as believers, it's not a mystery. But we need to be informed of how to tell people of the mystery. And the servant of God is also, what is he at the end? He says that uh, in a pure conscience, so servant of God is bold. So a pure conscience, when we're living with a pure conscience before God, we can be bold in everything we do. The righteous are as bold as a lion. So when we hold in the mystery of the gospel and, and, and with a clear conscience, this is making the mysteries of God that has now been understood by us an everyday part of my life. This is that clear conscience. This is what's being spoken of here with a pure conscience. So how do I keep a pure conscience? How do you pray for a pure conscience? After I was saved, uh, the next year of my life was so important. A man discipled me, a fellow student discipled me for the next year. And he taught me this. He said, Marsh, you need to be in the Word of God every day. And he held me accountable for one year. He was right there with me. And he said, before you go to the Bible, you need to pray this. Lord, confront me on my sin through your Word and through your Spirit. That was great advice. Because when you come away after praying that, you come away from your time with the Lord, you should come away with what? A clear conscience. Because we are applying the Word of God to our lives. And so are we worshiping God? Are we a servant with a pure conscience this morning? Does it get busy in seminary or not? It does. And again, I was just sharing, talking to three of you before I came up here. So all of us go through seminary at different stages. When, when I went through, we had four kids. Actually, we buried a child, and my wife birthed a child. And we were in church with Fred during that time. And, and you know, it, 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 it's, it's busy. And I realized, you know, I, 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 but one thing I had to do, I, I went back to the way I was discipled. Because I knew if I did not have a clear conscience before God and with my wife and with my family, then why? Should I go to seminary? So if you're, if you're trying just to get through to get an academic degree, that's great. But it's not what it's about, and you know that. So are you, are you coming with a clear conscience every day? It says holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. How is your conscience? You're being still before God this morning. Just look through this past week. This is Wednesday. So how's your conscience coming this week today? Because see, a servant of God, his spiritual character, he's going to hold the mystery of God with a pure conscience. Also, a servant of God is proven. Look at verse 10. And let those also first be proven. Then let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. Now, of course, this talks about here we're being tested. And we know blameless does not mean what? Does not mean sinless. But if we're living with a pure, pure conscience, then it's not going to, we're living a blameless life that, that we cannot be accused of having any disqualifying trait as a part of our lives. Now, do we sin? Yes. Do your children sin? Will your children sin? Yes. But as a servant of God, we must be blameless. We must be tested that no disqualifying trait can be laid against you. 
as you serve as a pastor, whatever ministry, somebody will come after you. Somebody's going to do that. And, and we all go through it. And, and we, some people call it your firestorm in ministry. So whatever, somebody's going to, and when you do, you've got to go back and you've got to say, okay, where we've done things wrong, let's quickly admit it, right? Confess it to God and confess it to those who have sinned again. But otherwise, we've got to go forward. And when these testing times come, I've got to look at myself before the word of God, before the spirit of God searching my heart around the men that I trust. And as a servant of God, I must be willing to take advice and say, okay, where do I need to change? So as we go through this, and it says this, the servant here, a deacon, must be found blameless, I challenge you, you need about three people in your life that can speak into your life. You need about three people that know you well, that you can sit down and say, okay, what do you see in my life right now? Where do I need to change? One of those needs to be your spouse or your future spouse, but who are the others? Because this is the way God has set out that we do maintain this being known as blameless. I don't need to talk to you about blind spots. I don't have a left eye. So, I mean, I, I, have, I, mean, I woke up the other day and my left leg was killing me because I run into things on my left side all the time. Follow me? I, got, I know I got a big blind spot. I know that. But don't forget about our spiritual blind spot. I appreciate my advisor when I was here, uh, Dr. Mike Barrett. And he asked the first part of every semester, he would sit down. He said, forget the academics. How you doing? How's your family? Where are you struggling? Those three questions, every semester. And I was here five years to get that. I never will forget that. You know why? He cared about my fulfilling this part of the requirements of being an elder and a servant of God. So you've got to have people to speak into your life and ask you those hard questions or you will not remain blameless. Okay, let's look at the reflections of a servant. What does that look like in verse 13? But see, the way, the way a servant lives will be reflected in the lives of those he serves. Okay, let me say that again. The way a servant lives will be reflected in the lives you serve. Okay, so a deacon here, a servant, his relationship with the Lord will be reflected in his relationship with his wife. Look at verse 11. Even so, their wives must be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. So a servant's relationship with the Lord is reflected in his wife or in his spouse and those he serves. Now, again, obviously here, uh, you can debate this. I'll let you all do that in class. So is this wives a female deacon or the wife of the deacon? You take it the way you want to. I'm taking it as the wife of the deacon, okay? Uh, must be grave, okay? Serious. So as we go through this, she must be serious, grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. So this word grave carries that idea of dignified, okay? And I think when, uh, when a wife is lovingly led by a husband that's serving her, this is part of that result. When a deacon or a servant is faithfully serving his wife, I think this, this dignified, whatever you want to word this here, is part of the result of that. She's also not slanderous. 
So please understand, we, we know this word is she-devil. She's not a slanderer of God, but neither is she a slanderer of people. So as we serve others, and the way we serve the Lord by serving others reflected in other people's lives, we need to make sure that we are setting the example so our wives also live this out by not destroying others with their tongues. Servants don't do that. Sober or temperate in verse 11. Okay, sober, faithful in all things. Not, this is parallel to uh, what we said earlier about not giving to much wine. Faithful in all things, faithful in her duties to the church, faithful in serving, faithful to her husband, faithful to the children, faithful in serving others. How does a wife of a deacon, a wife of a servant, become faithful in serving others? By the example of her husband serving her and serving others. That's the way it happens. See, the way we serve the Lord is reflected by the way we serve others. And this is what I think is being demonstrated here. Also, in, in verse 12, you know this, let the deacons be the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. He's going to be faithful, but he's also going to be a one-woman man. He's serving one woman and one God, one God and only one woman. Not flirtatious. Not flirtatious. Dr. Mazak's back here, and I, his class changed me from going to the foreign field to ministering to the American family. And I remember he was covering, and he said, men, don't go around hugging women in your church. He may not remember that, but I remember him saying that, and, and, and it has an impact. Why? I, you know, I want to be a one-woman man. And, and if I'm going to be a one-woman man and a servant is dedicated to his God and to his spouse, we need to be careful in maintaining those proper relationships, Right? I hug my wife one way. I hug my daughters one way. And, and really, I, you know, I'll shake your hand or whatever. But, you know, it, it, let's be careful how we do this because we need to be a one-woman man. And the man's life will reflect it in the wife's life that she has the confidence in him. Five minutes. Okay. All right, let's look at the rest of this. And I'm going to, uh, again, you know this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Ruling the children in their own house as well, for they've used the office of deacon to well purchase for themselves a good degree. So let's move on to that. So what is a servant's rewards? What is it? Okay, two things. A good degree. What is that? A good standing. So a, a servant that is serving the Lord by serving others will have a good standing. He'll gain respect and influence upon this congregation. Why? Because he served them. So a servant gains the respect of others. And then I love the way it's worded here in the last part of verse 13, in great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. See, what is this great boldness? Remember, he's got a pure conscience, and this great boldness is the confidence he has in God as he's serving others, and he sees that God's grace empowers him to serve others. And as he does that, this gains confidence in his walk with God. And it is a reward as we serve God by faith, serve others by faith, then we are rewarded with more confidence and boldness because we're able to see God work on our behalf as we serve others as we should. So I'll do this and then we're going to answer the question. All right? A couple other things. <clears throat> I serve the Lord by serving others, period. Period. That ought to be, you know, that's the way we do it. We serve the Lord by serving others. 
This is what deacons do. Now, I call this my 10-foot rule of ministry. Nothing's original with me. I wear brown, grays, blues. I'm colorblind. I mean, they had red on the screen. I said, I can't see that. So they changed it to blue. Thank you very much. But anyway, so what is a 10-foot ministry rule? 10-foot rule of ministry is everybody and everything within 10 feet becomes your ministry. Everybody within 10 feet of you becomes your ministry. Everybody. Every piece of trash on the floor within 10 feet of you becomes your ministry. Everything out of order within 10 feet of you becomes your ministry. Everything. This is the way a servant must think. Okay? How can I serve those that God has put around me? How can I serve or any, any, anything that comes in becomes your ministry within 10 feet? I've forgotten where I got this. It's some leadership book or something. And then I said, wait a minute, that's a good principle. Because here's what's happened. If you have that mindset, okay, I want to serve God by serving others. And serving others may be picking up trash or serving the custodial crew. Serving others may be putting things back in place. Serving others also could be a word of encouragement to those who don't have a lot of friends here. Serving others simply could be sitting beside somebody and saying, hey, can I pray with you? How's your week? I mean, I heard about papers have to be graded, and I've forgotten who I was talking to, and everything coming up in the next three weeks, right? Okay, can we stop and pray with you about that right now? All right, so we got to say, am I willing to look around 10 feet? Nothing sacred about that. That's not inspired. Maybe five feet. And say, who can I serve? So I want to give you this challenge. Today's Wednesday. Would you just do this through Friday? Okay. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Just, just try it. And again, a, a servant. How, why I serve the Lord by how? Serving. This is what Christ came to serve and not be served. So if you ever fulfill the office of deacon, this is what you're to do. But personally, in this class, we guard the faith. Christ came to serve others. We need to serve others. All right. So how would you answer the pastor that came up to me and said, I'm upset with this church. They're not showing me respect. Again, retired pastor serving office of a deacon, what would you say? Somebody's got to say something. All right. He said, Doctor, expect nothing. You'll never be disappointed. All right. What else would you say? Pardon me, say it. All right, service not above his master. Okay, students, what are you going to say? I mean, you're, you're in class. What you got to apply this. Learning, if you learn and don't apply it, it's no good. Yes. Say that good and loud. Yep. Okay, another way. I agree wholeheartedly, okay? Anybody want to add to that? Yes. Yeah, okay. Or how much do you serve them? Yeah. Others. Again, this guy's older than me, so I got to be careful, right? Not an elder. I want to be very careful. And I'm not, again, remember, I'm in another church, right? Okay. So I got to be very careful not to upset things and then leave. Yes. All right. 
I agree with that. Okay? And that was part of the problem. The whole, the whole thing is, let's just go to this passage. And, and he said, um, I said, okay, so what is, okay, you've been a pastor, you've preached on this, right? Yep. And you've had deacons. Now, remember, you know, uh, he had had a deacon serving under him. So I said, brother, you are now a deacon. And if you can fill the role of a deacon, what does God require you to do? Serve. And if you can't serve, you don't need to be a deacon. And it really is a believer. Again, Christ came to do what? To minister, to serve. All of us need to be doing this. And when we don't, we're going to to have a wrong view of ourselves. We're going to have a totally wrong view. That I am come, I need to be served. I am a retired pastor. I need respect. I need honor. But Jesus Christ came to serve. Same word here, deacon. Then who in the world am I to think that I should not serve? You want to change the culture of your church, your family, your seminary class. You start serving people that way. And you see what happens. Had one, um, you know, people always come, Pastor, how can I help you? It's my standard answer. And they got tired of that in Rock Hill, where they, got, they, they quit asking. Because my standard answer, go find somebody to what? Serve. Just go find, just go find somebody to serve, and that will be a blessing to me as you're practicing the one another's. I think that's a biblical concept. So all I challenge you to do, you you should be the spiritual leaders at Bob Jones University, those in this class. You really should be. So spiritual leaders serve. And we serve the Lord by serving others. So may we please take this to our heart that we can go and find somebody to serve today. Father, do thank you for your word. As we guard the faith, Father, help us guard our hearts to think biblically, to think about serving the way your word has described and the way Jesus said he came to minister. So, Lord, we know it's hard. We know that everything gets in the way. We get time. We get rushed for time and pressure. But, Lord, please just help us serve you by serving others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.